Christmas Eve. Here we are. The shopping malls, the wish lists, and the online deliveries are all but behind us. The Christmas cards, the outdoor lights, and the wrapped presents are ready. And here we are now on Christmas Eve. And God, we turn toward you because we need you. We need you to give us the vision to see this child more clearly than ever before. We need your spirit to help us experience him as grace and truth wrapped in humanity. Because in Jesus, you are displaying your love for the world. In him, you are proving your faithfulness to all generations, including ours. And here we are, God, surrendering, hoping, waiting, and leaning into the perfect love that our souls were created for. And we need you. So, Father, please meet us here on this Christmas Eve. Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope that final phrase resonates with you. Uh, we live in a world that badly needs Jesus. Uh, there's a line that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament that says that at just the right time, God sent his son. I've often wondered, why was that the right time? It's all the right time. We need him today. We need him every, time, every day. But perhaps it was the right time when the communication patterns were ready for the gospel to spread in a unique way. That's one of the questions I want to ask the Lord. What made that the right time among all of the years that have passed? But we're glad that you're here, and our hope is that God will meet you here today, somewhere in this Christmas weekend, that you will stop and reflect, either discover something new that you didn't realize about the coming of Jesus, or refresh your understanding in a way that makes it seem all new again. I'm going to read a, a portion of the uh, the gospel story from Luke chapter 2. Let me pray before we do that, and then we'll move on. Father God, thank you for allowing everybody to be here right now in this moment. For those who are online with us and those who are here in our worship center, I ask that you would give us a sense of encouragement, that you'd valued the human race and you valued us enough to send your Son as our Redeemer. We are still amazed at what you have done. How could all of the fullness of the God who created this world dwell inside a tiny little baby? What you have done in Jesus is so amazing, and we are still marveling and still trying to communicate in ways that help us understand more deeply that forevermore you have made Jesus a part of this human race so that we can be united with you as well. I pray that words of grace will ring out to, to each of us in this season. I ask that you will bless our families and the time that we have together. But thank you for giving us your very own son. Thank you for sending him the way that you did. Thank you for the mission that he carried out. And thank you for the grace that you give when we put our faith in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. And there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. This morning we're going to do something that's just a little bit different from a normal Christmas Eve message. Uh, The reason for that goes back to a challenge that I received about 40 years ago when I was in seminary working on my master's degree. We had this one professor, uh, Dr. Cornelia Williams, who had a PhD in speech and communications. And she challenged the guys in the room. All right, there were mostly men in that class. There were a couple of women But she said, most of you guys are going to preach all of your sermons standing behind a pulpit the same way week after week after week. And once in a while, I'd like to challenge you to do something different, get out of your comfort zone, and to put yourself into the story. So this usually works best when we have a story that most people are reasonably familiar with, like the Christmas story. For many people, it's a story, though, that you've heard hundreds and hundreds of times. When I do this, I I look for somebody who is in the story but not named, and somebody who would have an angle or a vantage point from which to tell that story so that we see it in a way that we haven't seen it before. So I was looking for some clues this year to the Christmas story that would give me that kind of a, a window into the story. And what's fascinating to me is that we have this group of shepherds. We don't know how many. We don't know how old. uh, But the shepherds are all there, and they're part of the Christmas story. They're actually the first ones outside of Mary and Joseph who see this infant Jesus. And they've been prepared by an angelic message in the sky. But then they go off... Uh, from that point, shouting and praising. Verse 20 is kind of a key for me. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The opening part of Luke's gospel tells us that Luke, who was a medical doctor and a historian who traveled with the Apostle Paul, he tells us that he researched everything that he could, and he investigated in order to be able to present an orderly story. So I get the sense that Luke went back and he investigated everybody who was still alive who could bear witness to what they had seen and heard around the time of the arrival of Jesus. That meant that he most likely interviewed Mary. That's the reason why Luke has so much material for Mary and the other Gospels don't. And Luke probably interviewed one of the shepherds. So I'd like to give you a shepherd's view of the gospel. They're going to turn down the lights for a minute, and then I'll be back. Not so fast, Joshua. 
wait up for your old grandfather. I love your energy climbing up these hills. When I was your age, I used to bound up the hills in the same way that you do now. Oh, I love these hills above Bethlehem. They are probably my favorite part of all of Judea. There's so much history to our town, Bethlehem. Bethlehem's known for a handful of things, for Ruth and Boaz, for King David, who was born in this town, for sheep that were raised for the sacrifices on the holy days, and for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Look over there, Joshua. Can you see off in the distance those fields? Those are the wheat fields and the barley fields where Ruth went to glean when she came back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Those fields are where Boaz first saw her and told some of his workers to pull some of the grain out of the bundles and to leave it on the ground where she could pick it up so that she would have more than they ever expected to bring home to Naomi. where Boaz began to protect her and to serve as her kinsman redeemer, providing, protecting, looking out for her. Boaz got interested, and a little while later, he realized that he had an opportunity to redeem the land from Ruth and Naomi's family. They'd fallen deeply into debt and had lost the land in foreclosure. And there was a huge stigma that was attached to their family. But there was somebody else who was closer. And so he met one day down at the town gate. Joshua, did you see the town gate right over there? They met with the elders at the town gate and he waited for that closer relative to come into play and he presented to him that there was an opportunity that the, the land that had belonged to Naomi's family was up for sale. And as the closest male relative, he had an opportunity to purchase the land. And boy, was he excited because he wanted to. He could double the size of his farm instantly. But then just as they sat down with the elders and this man was about to act on that transaction... Boaz sprung with the news of what that also meant. That if he identified himself as the closest relative and he acted on that, then he also obligated himself to what was known as the Leveret Law. When a man died without having a male heir, it was the responsibility of his brother or the closest male relative to marry his widow. Well, this closer Kinsman wanted no part of a, a Moabite widow to bring into his home. And his face turned red as he realized the predicament. Within moments, he'd taken off his sandal and he'd given it to Boaz. It was the signal that he was transferring the right to Boaz to redeem the land and to act on behalf of the family. That was the day. That was the day that Boaz redeemed the land and the shame that was attached to this little family began to go away. And that same day, right there with Naomi and the elders at the town gate, 
Boaz married Ruth. It was quite a love story. All of Bethlehem was buzzing about that love story for a long time. How widows are redeemed in the midst of their grief and how the word redemption began to spring out in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was also known for being the birthplace of King David. What's that, Joshua? Oh, yeah, David's well is right over there. You can see it in the distance. David's well was quite a story, too. There was a time when David was battling the Philistines, and the Philistine army had taken over the town of Bethlehem. And David was heartsick over the thought of his hometown being overrun by uh, these men from the Philistine army. And one night, as they were talking about Bethlehem, he, he sighed and he said, Oh, what I would give for a drink of water from the, the well at Bethlehem. Well, that night, three of his mighty men rose up without anybody else knowing that they were going to do this. And they made their way down to Bethlehem and they fought through the waves of soldiers who were guarding the city and they, brought, got, they took their way and got into the city and got to the well, and they filled up a goatskin with fresh water from the well. And then they had to fight their way through the front lines again in order to get back to where David was in his stronghold. And in the morning, they presented this gift to David, this fresh water from the well in Bethlehem. But David wouldn't drink it. He said to them, uh, not knowing that you nearly sacrificed your lives to get me a drink of water. I'm not worthy of that kind of sacrifice. Only the Lord is worth that kind of loyalty. And so he poured out that water in the goatskin as a drink offering to the Lord. Bethlehem was also known for raising sheep. And so my father was a shepherd. My uncles were shepherds. My brothers were shepherds. Guess what? I too became a shepherd. Sheep were raised in Bethlehem because the hills were uh, conducive to the kind of diet that they needed, but Bethlehem's only six miles away from Jerusalem. And the Levites would buy those sheep every year, and they would resell them when people came to Jerusalem for the high holy days. So they were raised to be a sacrifice. And Bethlehem was known for one more thing, for Joseph and Mary. The Roman governor over the Syrian province was a man named Publius Quirinius. And he enacted a census to be taken in order for all of the people to be taxed. And so what he did was he ordered that they all had to go back to the home of their family's origin, where, where the people identified with most in Israel. And Joseph's family, all the way back, had come from Bethlehem. So Joseph came to Bethlehem with his very young and very pregnant wife, Mary, in order to register for a, tax, for, register for a census and pay a tax and the tax would then be used to pay the Roman soldiers that they didn't want to be there anyway. And they came that night. Joshua, what's that? Yes. 
That's the stable over there. The stable connected to a little stone cave, and that's where Jesus was born. You can see it off in the distance. I remember that place so well. And I remember that night. I mentioned that my father was a shepherd and all of my family members were shepherds and that was the first night that my father allowed me to go along with the rest of the shepherds. I was just a little bit younger than you are. It was a quiet night. Like it is in here right now. And it was dark. So very dark. That it made it seem like the stars shined even more brightly. And then, suddenly, the silence was broken. An angel appeared in the sky, an angel of the Lord. And I don't really know how to describe this, but the glory of the Lord shone all around us, and we were in the midst of it. And there were radiant beams of light that came from the angel and illuminated all the ground where we were standing. And we were terrified. (laughs) I was scared. I looked over at my dad, and he was trembling a little bit, and my brothers, and on and on. Then the angel spoke. Do not be afraid, he said. Well, that was a little late. (laughs) You can't take all of the fear away just like that, but somehow... The words that he said calmed us down just a little bit. And then the angel spoke again. He said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Wow. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I began to wonder what people Is this for all of Bethlehem? Is it good news for all of Judea or all of Israel? Does he mean that this is good news for the entire world? I didn't understand, but I wondered, will this be good news for me? Then the angel spoke again. He said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ, the Lord. I thought, wow. We'd heard about the Messiah since the time we were little kids. Everybody wondered when the Messiah would come, what the Messiah would be like, where the Messiah would be born, how things would change when the Messiah came. And now, an angel from God is telling us that the Messiah has been born right here in our little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was once known as a royal city because David was born there. 
But it had been a thousand years since any king had lived in Bethlehem. If Bethlehem was a royal city, it was a forgotten royal city. It was a nowhere little town with a great past until that day. Then all of a sudden, there was a band of angels in the sky. Someone called them a heavenly host. But if you can imagine a host of angels that filled the sky everywhere that we could see. And they began singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And they sang this chorus over and over for several minutes. It was wonderful. The voices were perfect. And it seemed like it went on for hours. And then they stopped. And just as suddenly as they had appeared, they vanished from the sky. And they were gone. Before that band of angels came, the angel of the Lord had told us that there would be a sign for us. And the sign was, if we went down to the town of David, that we would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. When the angels vanished, we just stood there, frozen. I was frozen my father was frozen. My uncles were frozen. You get it. And then my father broke the silence. He said, boys, you heard the angel. Let's go. And we were off. Have you ever tried to run downhill at night? When it's pitch dark. So we started running down the hills. We knew the hills well, but you can't see where you're going. And so we stumbled and we fell. And we'd get up and we'd stumble and fall again and get up. And we just kept going. And we made our way down to the village. And I wondered where it would be, where this would take place. We weren't aware of any family that was expecting a newborn this week or even this month. But there were so many visitors coming from all parts of Israel. Could it be one of them, we thought? And then as we made our way into the streets, there was this one little area that was lit up. And it was a stable. The stable was attached to this stone cave where animals had been kept. And we went closer. And sure enough, we saw the young mother and the father. And there was the manger. And we inched our way closer. And sure enough, there was a baby, just as we had been told, wrapped up tightly 
in cloths, as newborns often are. And we marveled. And then after we stood there and watched and gazed at this child for a while, we, we had to go back up into the hills. Our sheep were there, and we had to tend sheep for the night. But we were so filled with joy that we were praising God, and we started singing praises. I think we woke up half of that side of Bethlehem early in the morning with our praises. I can still hear them now. Glory to God. Glory to God, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God in the highest. And we climbed up here again. Climbed up back to this very spot where you and I stand right now. But the hills weren't the same. Not for me. They're almost sacred. Because this is where I first heard about Jesus. Right here, up on the hills, looking down on the city. Long before the miracles, long before the healings, long before the cross. In Bethlehem. place where widows and foreigners are redeemed, the place where sheep are raised for the sacrifices at Passover, Bethlehem, the once royal city, became royal again, Bethlehem where I first heard about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Joshua, this is why I wanted you to come up here with with me one more time. When you're finally old enough to make the climb, and before I'm too old to make it again, I wanted to share this with you. I wanted you to hear from me, from somebody who was there. You know how you heard about the story of Jesus in our little church in Bethlehem. It's amazing how in the last several years the story has spread from Bethlehem throughout all of Israel and now to other countries. Why are they so caught up with the story of our little town and our little Savior? I think it's because it's a story of a God who loves people so much that despite how messed up our world is, he sent a redeemer. So tonight, Joshua, you and I are going to bed down right here beneath the stars. And we're going to sit and we're going to talk as long as you want to tonight. We're going to talk about sheep and shepherds and angels and about Jesus under the stars.
Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your son, and we thank you, Lord, that you came. You came for each and every one of us. We pray, God, that we, we would know that deep down. Lord, as we celebrate your birth, we pray that we would pass that joy on to others, that we would contemplate what it meant for the God of the entire universe to come down and to become an infant and to live as, as a person in real flesh and real skin, with real trials and tribulations, with real joys, with real sadness. God, let that be real to us this Christmas. And may we, in turn, give the gift of giving our lives to you, Lord. We thank you for your son and for his sacrifice. Be with us this Christmas and always. In Jesus' name, amen.